Rosa Parks, could she have known uh, when she simply said no and refused to move the back of the bus in the 1960s during time of segregation, which I lived through, that that would change the trajectory of the civil rights movement? She could not possibly have known that. Would Greta Thunberg, could she have imagined that the simple act of sitting in protest silently in front of the Swedish parliament, overwhelmed with grief and uh, anxiety about climate change, would launch a global youth movement? No, she couldn't have known that. She just couldn't. And so I just encourage people to get up, work from a place of meaning and values to them personally in their life, use the tools they have, do what they can, and know unimaginable things can happen. Welcome back to the Rise Up Podcast, where we want to help put the good people of the Midwest to work building the energy economy of the future. I'm Jordan Poobles. I'm Nick Hyla, and we'll be working together to share opinions, news, resources, strategies, success stories, and actions you can take. And we'll grow the movement to build a local, resilient, clean, and reliable energy system that provides the greatest possible benefit to people and planet. This episode is brought to you by Panasonic Eco Solutions. The Panasonic Total Home Energy System doesn't just deliver clean power, it delivers peace of mind thanks to lasting performance, battery storage you can depend on, and a full system warranty. Let's take your solar business to profitable new levels together. Panasonic. One system, one warranty, one partner with trust built in. To become an authorized Panasonic installer or a certified Evervolt installer, contact your Panasonic regional sales manager and get started today. And if you want to join our growing coalition of businesses, individuals, organizations, jurisdictions, and workforce development partners working together to create a groundswell of support for common sense, strategic, and swift policy action to put the good people of the Midwest to work building the energy economy of the future, please consider supporting the Rise Up Midwest movement through both sponsorship and partnership. For more information, please visit www.riseupmidwest.org or email us at info at riseupmidwest.org. As we witness, process, and even participate in the social and economic injustice marches and observations happening across the country and world, most of us are struggling with a simple question, and that is, what can I do? Though we recorded our interview with Tia Nelson before the marches began, her experience and insights in her and her father Gaylord Nelson's decades-long effort to improve the worst environments in America and meet the global challenge of climate change speak true to us. We would have loved to have seen her in person at the Energy Fair this year, but we're happy to have a moment to talk with her and share the conversation with you. Joining us today is Tia Nelson. You may know her for her namesake. She has for many years championed environmental 
causes and spending almost 20 years working on environmental initiatives in North and South America, winning the EPA's Climate Protection Award, serving on the Wisconsin Board of Commissioners of Public Lands, and co-chairing the Wisconsin Task Force on Global Warming. She is now the Managing Director of Climate at uh, a new foundation, the Outrider Foundation, that is uh, focused on this issue. Uh, Tia, good morning. How are you today? Oh, good morning. Uh, uh, Glad to be with you, Nick. Well, thanks for uh, spending the time with us. Um, maybe we can get started, Tia, by just uh, discussing what motivates you uh, recently and what you've been up to. Sure, I, I'd be happy to. This is an interesting time to be a conservationist and environmental advocate, which has been my life's work and passion, um, um, much like my father's, who inspired me uh, so greatly. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about the 50th anniversary of Earth Day, which um, my father founded when he was Wisconsin's United States Senator in 1970, and how uh, to put into perspective the past, the present, and the future of uh, environmental work. It's easy to... And for me, it's a bit of a complicated dance between hope and despair in terms of where we're at facing the greatest environmental challenge of our time, uh, climate change. Um, And having been at this a long time, I can look back and see a lot of missed opportunities. I was a young, pretty naive person and working for Nature Conservancy. Um, I am idealistic and passionate about my work. I was in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, 1992 at the Earth Summit when George Herbert Walker Bush signed the Framework Convention on Climate Change and vowed to lead the world, have the United States lead the world in addressing this great threat. And uh, there have been so many missed opportunities. And my reflections on the 50th anniversary of Earth Day and uh, led me to think about how to give a sense of hope and inspiration to youth and adults alike today that we can make a difference because it's easy to believe that we can't. Um, And so uh, I've spent the last nine months uh, producing a film that reflects on the past but also uh, contextualizes the challenge of climate change that we face today uh, through the voices of a youth activist who's very... Uh, progressive uh, and um, a conservative Republican and evangelical Christian uh, Bob Inglis, former Republican congressman, who agreed to join me. And I was so proud and grateful uh, for each of their participation. Uh, Barshini Bakash, the co-founder of the Sunrise Movement, and Bob, who has founded a group um, and inspired to dedicate his life to addressing climate change and, and, and founded a group called Republic Ian. And they have very different solutions and ideas about how to solve the climate crisis, but that was okay to me. The important thing was that they came together with me um, and put forward a message uh, of unity that together uh, we could build the bridges necessary to create that social will and political capital to address this issue. 
So that's been a fascinating and rewarding and sometimes exhausting um, journey for me. And that's how I've been spending the last nine months of my time uh, trying to help inspire people to see themselves as being uh, part of the solution. And that, for me, comes out of my father's own story. Just a little boy from a little town in northern Wisconsin with a really big dream. And that dream came true in, in... in ways that even in his wildest imagination, he could not have foreseen. And so telling that story and inspiring others is is really how I spend my time these days. Yeah, the, the short film, When the Earth Moves, is on the Outrider website, and it is it is very moving and inspirational. And I, th- I thought particularly the segment with Bob Inglis and... Um, and I know that you're really focused on these bridges, building bridges to um, to understand uh, the science behind climate change and to be inspired to uh, participate in solutions. And I thought Bob's story, as he told it, was was quite fascinating. Starting with his son turning 18 and ready to vote, and uh, and I guess, for lack of better terms, calling him out on his environmental positions and um, and his participation on some trips to uh, see the ice cores himself and to see the Great Barrier Reefs and um, and even the, the backlash he faced in losing his election has really opened his his eyes. And I think, I guess I'm wondering, Tia, what, what kind of lessons do you see there? How, how do we continue to build bridges and, and engage with people like Bob? Well, I, uh, I think Bob's work is critical. We can't come up with an enduring climate solution that that, uh, doesn't bring uh, a diversity of voices to the table and and build that sort of resilient political and social will um, that one needs to have um, uh, to put in place sound public policy based on sound science. Uh, um, So I joke, um, it's not, not everybody laughs, but I joke, you know, if environmentalists could deliver us across the finish line, we'd be there by now, right? So I've thought a lot about this idea, you know, the, this concept of building bridges and how do we do that? I think we've been talking to ourselves in our own uh, funny language for a long time and not thinking um, enough about how to reach um, the mother who doesn't consider herself an environmentalist but whose son can't go to school today because they're having an asthma attack. And honestly, I don't think she needs to understand climate science 101. All she needs to know is the reason the kid can't go to school today is that coal plant down the street and that that's um, uh, harmful to public health, it's harmful to her child's development, and it's unnecessary because we have cost-effective renewable energy. And so... Uh, how you reach others. I mean, I've, one of the things I'm doing at Outrider that I really enjoy is uh, started to work with another um, uh, unlikely voice and advocate for climate action, um, uh, similar but also different than, than Bob Inglis, uh, Brent Suter, the pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, he's a graduate of Harvard, studied sustainability, and it's devoted um, uh, to individual action to um, live uh, as responsibly as he can personally uh, on this 
uh, Earth in his day-to-day life, but also to speak out on issues. He's launched something called the Strikeout Waste Campaign. He's working with the Brewers to reduce uh, single-use plastic in the stadium. And Brent reaches people I wouldn't reach. I'm not a sports person, and and he's um, he's a really effective messenger to reach beyond the choir, so to speak. Um, and help build those bridges. So Bob is like that. Brent is like that. I'm looking for those. I'll be speaking um, uh, in June. Uh, I'll be keynoting at the United Church of Christ uh, annual meeting uh, for Wisconsin. Um, There are many faith leaders who believe deeply in what they call creation care. I was not uh, raised in a faith tradition, but I... Um, see the power of um, helping people think about this in new and different ways that that have them feeling invested in caring for um, uh, the earth in whatever way feels meaningful and right to them. And so I think it's really about inviting others to the table to have a conversation, listen to them about their values and concerns, and find those commonalities, because the truth is we all uh, care about our families. We all have to breathe, uh, have the right to breathe clean air and drink clean water. This isn't a red or a blue issue. This is a, um, an issue of uh, how we live as humans and thrive as humans economically and environmentally and, and in a healthy manner. And... Um, we really need to broaden that conversation, and I look for every opportunity I can to do that. Well, that is a very important message now, and you know, it's an interesting time as we transition into this new uh, economic and uh, social and technological space where, quite frankly, any rational analysis will show that investments in solar and wind and distribution system resiliency and energy efficiency provide all of the best economic outcomes, job outcomes, environmental outcomes, outcomes for ratepayers, and these all align with goals of the climate movement. It sounds to me, Tia, like, you know, there's this hope in the climate movement that we're we're transitioning from a, a movement of loudness and crisis and action and talking about what's right to more of a movement that hears the other side and and has a conversation and and works to resolve issues in the best way we can. I, I'm wondering if that's how, how you see how the movement is going. I'm not sure that I'm wise enough to truly answer that question. I will give you um, a couple of reflections. I, I, I think that sometimes the environmental community is their uh, own worst enemy. Um, uh, there's um, not always a lot of uh, cooperation and collaboration, and there's a lot of um, uh, us versus them. This is a cultural phenomenon, not unique to um, environmentalism. I think it's regrettable um, uh, uh, as a society whenever we engage in that, regardless of who's doing it. Um, it's um, interesting to me, uh, without getting too uh, political, 
um, but both uh, interesting and to me quite promising um, that Joe Biden has asked um, climate activists who supported Bernie to uh, join a committee that will help um, design a climate change platform and a clean energy platform, a renewable energy platform. Um, uh, and that's important. The youth movement today, there are elements of it that are quite angry and so understandably frustrated and, and mad um, uh, about um, inaction. And um, I just would encourage them to use that energy and anger, you know, for, for, to be a part of positive um, uh, change to help uh, build those bridges. And so I I see a lot of groups coming together, whether it, it look at um, public health groups, look at uh, the emerging faith groups, which is quite interesting, that Pope Francis's encyclical on climate change um, was uh, fascinating and really impactful. The folks who are working to bring together uh, public health advocates and faith leaders and environmentalists and social justice community activists, that's just, that's really critical work. And I see that happening now in really important ways. I, I, you'll see in the Outrider film we produced uh, a clip from my father on the eve of the first Earth Day in which he says ecology is a big science, not a narrow science. It includes the worst environments in America, in the inner cities, and in Appalachia. I think the environmental community failed to hear that part of his message on that first first day. Um, but uh, uh, in recent years, has begun to see and talk about uh, environmental issues as social justice issues, which is critical. Um, and seeing social justice advocates and faith leaders and uh, health officials working hand-in-hand to build a brighter future by thinking of the environment in this really holistic way that involves the environment in the city, the environment in the countryside. Um, uh, That, that to me, uh, gives me a glimmer of hope. And I see that happening now in a way uh, that um, wasn't happening um, uh, decades ago. And in my view, is is critical to to our well-being and our prosperity. Yeah, it's a very important point. You know, uh, I think what we understand is that our our country depends on pluralism and compromise. We're, we're, we'll never agree, um, and I think that's apparent to me and and many folks. But we we can't compromise. There, just this week, um, the third week of May. Uh, in Minnesota, a uh, divided uh, uh, House and Senate there passed a bipartisan bill with uh, approaching uh, unanimous support to extend a uh, rewards program for solar owners, an incentive program. And uh, interesting, some of the compromises that came out of that, for example, investment and uh, training in coal-dependent communities as they transition from uh, their uh, coal-fired power to uh, solar and natural gas and energy storage and wind. 
And, um, and so I think we're actually, you know, we're seeing some of this, this compromise and, you know, the, the sausage making can be, um, a little disgusting to watch, but at the end of the day, uh, I think the, the bill that passed, you know, even amidst a pandemic and, uh, in the high, high, highest polarization of, of politics that I think we've seen in our, our lifetimes, uh, that that final bill is great, and I'm wondering, you know, do you see that? Um, do you see that in other places, and and um, and how do we how do we continue to make that happen? Yes, well, I think there's some really interesting data out there, and there are some they're pretty subtle um, and uh, shifts, political shifts occurring. Um, uh, but if you scratch below the surface you can see um, the changes happening. I uh, follow very carefully the work of the uh, uh, Yale Climate Communications Project, which polls public opinion on climate change every six months and has done so for uh, over a decade now, I believe. Uh, Young Republicans care about climate change almost as much as Democrats do. Now, there's this big disparity uh, between younger Republicans and older Republicans. Um, the numbers are pretty stunning, and I don't have them in front of me, but, 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 they're, but they're illuminative and stunning. But the reason um, you're seeing leadership, in, Republican leadership in Congress today, um, beginning to talk about climate change and climate change solutions, is because they're seeing that same data polling data and public opinion, and they're hearing from young Republicans in their town hall um, meetings and as they work in their communities and districts. Um, the kids of today, regardless of political affiliation, they care about climate change a lot because every young person living today see the impact of climate change uh, uh, right in front of them. and. Uh, they know it, they feel it, they see it, and there's really not much of a political divide between young people on this issue. And that's that's driving political change um, that we're not fully seeing, but we are beginning to see. And if you go and look at Republic Ian, Bob English's site and work, you'll notice that he focuses on communicating with young Republicans um, uh, quite significantly. Um, in the summertime, he does some boys' state uh, quite a bit. And um, so I, I see, and, you know, in Wisconsin, um, a conservative uh, clean energy group has uh, opened up shop. Um, uh, I see shifts happening, uh, you know, not, not swiftly enough and not subjectively enough yet, but... Um, there is change in the wind uh, if you look. Um, look at the data, look at the polling data. Things are, are changing. And like I said, not enough, not fast enough, but it's changed. Uh, I celebrate it. It should be. Even the smallest should probably be celebrated today. Um, you know, there. I, I appreciate you. The way you frame it, if you scratch the surface, um, you'll find it, and and I feel like that's true. You know, one of the eye-opening uh, moments in the climate movement for me was um, I don't know if you're familiar with Michael Shermer. He's the publisher of Skeptic Magazine and is featured on Reason website. He was a he was an early skeptic of climate change, but as the 
the science piled up, he he switched his position and is now a firm believer. You know, he, it takes a lot to make this man a believer in anything. And uh, and he was featured in a documentary called Merchants of Doubt. And um, and that documentary also featured kind of the, you know, this was um, about six or seven years ago. There are quite a few Republicans that were starting to support climate change, but this mass media movement to demonize people in, in, in the climate movement and uh, to discredit the science, which is the basis for this documentary by Naomi Oreskes, Merchants of Doubt, quickly flipped the Republican uh, Party. And as you know, uh, Bob Inglis lost his election um, based on his uh, even speaking the word climate change. And I'm wondering if you feel like when you scratch the surface that we are starting to move beyond that knee-jerk reaction, and and there's a, a wider acceptance now that, you know, the that as far as politics go, we'll start tentatively agreeing uh, on the basic science. Um, yeah, it's it's a great question, and 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 as I said, I think you're, we're seeing political shifts below the surface, uh, driven um, in some significant part by. Um, by young people who, regardless of political affiliation, are, are, are um, demanding leadership on climate change. I think that's playing a critical role. I think the, um, I mean, there's this fascinating YouTube video from uh, more than a decade ago um, that's strung together, Sarah, you know, a whole series of conservative Republicans, including Mike Huckabee, Sarah, Sarah Palin, um, you know, when John McCain had a presidential campaign ad, I can't remember what year it was. It was, uh, but uh, during his presidential campaign, he, he did an ad about you know how he's going to address climate change. These videos are strung together, and, and every, every one of them is very surprising. I mean, people look at me; they wonder whether they're actually looking at authentic uh, video. Um, and you have to ask yourself what what changed and um, my own personal theory is it was a combination of um, things. I think uh, the Supreme Court uh, Citizen United decision has had a terrible and corrosive effect on the strength of the American democracy by um, allowing um, unlimited amounts of uh, uh, special interest money uh, to come into campaigns as a uh, um, an expression of uh, free speech. I, I just personally, I just don't buy the argument, and and I see the corrosive effect it's had on climate change. And I mean, I, I want to point out, I I believe that Bob English, uh, because of the conversion that he went through on climate change, and then in, in gaining to speak the words, um, uh, Americans for Prosperity, um, which is largely funded by the Koch brothers, and. I, I get a little weary of <laughs> blaming them for all the malaises that uh, progressives often uh, identify. Um, but in this case, um, there's no question uh, that Americans for Prosperity targeted Bob because he said the words climate change. They, and um, they took him out. And then um, and then that example was, you know, they took him out from the right, uh, which is pretty hard to do because Bob was a congressman in the reddest congressional district in um, a popular congressman in the reddest congressional district in America, probably. And um, then he became a poster child for in which um, the fossil fuel industry would just 
literally say, if you talk about climate change, we're going to do to you what we did to Bob. And um, that's, you know, that's really disconcerting to me. I, I, I just parenthetically, I, there was a Republican who I, uh, elder statesman, uh, who I um, just greatly respected, who I tried to recruit some years ago uh, to serve on an environmental board in Wisconsin, because I think we need a diversity of, of uh, voices and expertise on, on all of our uh, nonprofit boards um, uh, and that we benefit from, from that. And um, I was trying to help this group um, um, get some political diversity and the person I was reaching out to, I have enormous respect for. And, and he said, no, he, I, I said, it's a good cause, good organization. I'm not going to do it. Um, I don't have many years left. I'm dedicating my life to two things because I believe that they are the most critical in strengthening our democratic system in America today. And it is overturning Citizens United and um, getting a fair uh, process by which legislative districts are drawn, uh, because money and gerrymandering is um, having such a perverse and corrosive effect on our political system. And um, I didn't really fully understand those words until some time later, but I've come to believe very strongly that that those are really significant challenges for us. And he said, every issue you care about, Tia, and every issue I care about, he's a progressive Republican back, back when that was a, a thing, um, and I'm a progressive Democrat, and he said, everything we care about is dependent on these two things. And that's a real challenge in today's political system. Um, but back to your, you know, the beginning of, of the question, when young people, regardless of political affiliation, say this is an issue and I want to see my political leaders address it, that drives change. It is the power of the youth movement today, um, and they are having a significant influence on what's happening. And so there's a glimmer of hope in that, in my opinion. Yeah, it's good to hear you talk about the fundamentals. You know, I feel like now is a good time. We are in a global crisis, and um, and I think people are returning to these fundamentals. And, and what I hear you say is that, you know, without a participatory democracy, a process that protects that, and education and, and real representation that's fair and that expresses the, the actual needs of people, that we won't get any solutions that address people's problems. We'll, we'll only get solutions that, uh, that support profits for a few. And, and I see that also. And, and I think that those two issues, if wow, if there was bipartisan support for reversing this idea that corporate spending is speech, and um, and having uh, nonpartisan districts that create true representation and and you know competitive uh, free dialogue and uh, choice, then then we might be um, we might be in, in a better place. And and so I you know I, I return to actually a quote from from your father, which um, which you feature in uh, in the documentary when the when the Earth moves, and he said. You know, our goal is a decent environment in its broadest and deepest sense, and it will require a long, sustained political, moral, ethical, and financial commitment far beyond any commitment 
ever made by any society in the history of man. And, you know, these very large issues uh, and complicated issues that you talk about seem to me to fit very squarely in his prescient and, um, and really accurate sentiment from 50 years ago. And I'm wondering, you know, knowing him personally um, and being in the situation that, that we are right now, if, how you feel about, you know, that, that statement. Well, his point, which I think is an important one, is um, uh, finding that balance uh, between humans and the um, finite resources of this earth upon which we depend um, uh, that uh, will build that brighter future such that we're celebrating the 100th anniversary of Earth Day 50 years from uh, this year. That requires a long, sustained effort in significant investments at all levels of society. And the job will never be done. I mean, my father, he passed away when he was uh, 89, and he was still going to the Wilderness Society. After he, uh, um, 1980, he uh, <laughs> he left the Senate. He had quite the sense of humor. Uh, he said he got an invitation from the people he couldn't refuse. Uh, he lost the election. Um, and he went to work at the Wilderness Society. Now he could have gone anywhere and um, gotten a lot of money for, to use his understanding of politics and and um, uh, persuasion uh, and public policy uh, and made a lot of money. But that never motivated him in his life. He was a, a public servant uh, to his very core. And he went to go work at the Wilderness Society in 1980 after losing his Senate seat. And he continued to work until some months um, before he passed away. And someone asked him why he still went to work every day at age, um, I don't know whether they asked him when he was 88 or 89, but, you know, uh, you know, why do you still go to work every day? And my father simply said, because the job's not done. And uh, I think... Uh, reflecting on uh, this question that you posed about what it takes to, to uh, ha you know, the investment is going to be a long and sustained social, political, financial um, investment on the part of all of us. Um, and that's a decadal effort. It's not a um, something, it's not a job we finish up and, and move on to another task. It, it, it's, um, it will be a long, sustained effort, and, and that effort will be required as long as uh, humans are seeking to uh, build that balance with this finite planet and, and, and thrive uh, environmentally and um, economically. So it is um, the reality of the human condition, really. Tia, um it's wonderful to hear you talk. Um, I think that you've learned a lot uh, from your experience, and I think from from your father. He's, you know, it's hard to judge in today's standards uh, of people that were influential 50 years ago. But uh, but Gaylord Nelson seemed like a 
like a man that was not uniform. He he, you know, you, you, people may not know, but he was known as a very strong consumer advocate in his time, an advocate for small business. Um, the the Nelson Pill hearings, he questioned and required congressional hearings on uh, oral contraceptives, and um, but also believed that population was an issue that affected the environment. He was caring and thoughtful. And um, and I think we need more of that wisdom today, and we need to break down silos and, and trust in other people. Um, I guess my fear, Tia, is that um, we, in today's climate, with, with the prospect of, you know, the, the U.S. economy, you know, the, the big question mark there, I guess I'm wondering right now as you sit there, what... what inspiration can you give people out there to, to get engaged? Um, you know, how should we think about our next year or two? No one can, you never can predict the future and uh, we are living now in more uncertain times than ever. Um, I, I go back over and over again to get my inspiration to get up in the morning and do my little part um, to build a brighter future, to, to build bridges, to um, to make a difference in my life because this is what um, are the values that were imbued in me by my father and, and which um, uh, occupy my my head and my heart. And um, I just think of that little boy from that little town with this really big dream. And that dream, you know, Earth Day was successful beyond his wildest dreams. He couldn't have imagined that this simple idea of setting aside a day to teach on the environment would launch the environmental decade in which more environmental laws were passed than any other time in American history. Not a single Republican voted, not a single person voted against the Clean Air Act, 1972. A Republican president created the Environmental Protection Agency. These were all unimaginable outcomes from this uh, simple idea. And that took my father a long time. He, he had many failed ideas before that one uh, took and stuck and, and had this huge impact. But I think of Rosa Parks. Could she have known uh, when she simply said no and refused to move the back of the bus in the 1960s during time of segregation, which I lived through, that that would change the trajectory of the civil rights movement? She could not possibly have known that. Would Greta Thunberg, could she have imagined that the simple act of sitting in protest silently in front of the Swedish parliament, overwhelmed with grief and uh, anxiety about climate change, would launch a global youth movement? No, she couldn't have known that. She just couldn't. And so I just encourage people to get up, work from a place of meaning and values to them personally in their life, use the tools they have, do what they can, and know unimaginable things can happen. And our power is to get up and try. Tia, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for... Uh, the work of uh, Midwest Renewable Energy Association. It's, uh, you guys are doing great stuff, and I'm sorry I couldn't be uh, in person at your conference, uh, but I look forward to that next year in 2021, 
and uh, I'm grateful for all you do and um, and grateful for the chance um, to share a, a bit of my story with you today. Be sure to tune in to upcoming episodes of Rise Up to hear important insights and timely updates from the experts that are working in and on the pressing issues that affect your access to clean energy. On our next episodes, we'll sit down with Andy Johnson, director of the Winnesheek Energy District, to discuss Iowa's new net metering law, David Bender, clean energy attorney of the nonprofit organization Earth Justice, who argued and won the Kansas Supreme Court case that struck down extra fees for solar-owning Kansans, and Sarah Baldwin, director of electric policy for energy innovation about the new grid modernization playbook and strategies that states are using to make investments in the grid of the future. The Rise Up podcast is powered by the Midwest Renewable Energy Association, a nonprofit organization out of Custer, Wisconsin, whose mission is to promote renewable energy, energy efficiency, and sustainable living through education and demonstration. To learn more about MREA and its programs, including renewable energy training, Grow Solar, the Solar Corps, and more, visit www.midwestrenew.org. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Rise Up podcast. To learn more about the content on today's show, please visit the podcast page on www.riseupmidwest.org. Until next time, rise up Midwest.